Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, former President Donald Trump reinvigorates his faith advisory board. We discuss the importance of putting youth protection policies in place, and there's been a shakeup at GRACE, the group that investigates sexual abuse in Christian environments. We'll have details. We begin today with news of turmoil at Safe Families for Children, an organization that bills itself as a faith-based alternative to foster care and has helped more than 50,000 families in crisis by caring for their at-risk children. Yeah, but now the group may be experiencing a crisis of its own after some of its 100 local chapters left the network to start a new independent group that works only with traditional male-female families. Ken Norwood, who's the group's chief operating officer, has also resigned. Now, Warren, you said that some of its 100 local chapters. Do you know how many have left? Well, we don't, in fact, know for sure. Uh, Cherry Jimenez is a spokesperson for Safe Families. She would not confirm the number, but our research indicates that at least 10 of the chapters have left, and some of them are among the biggest and most successful, including the chapter right here in Charlotte, where I am. They formed this new group called Alongside Families. In fact, I should say that the supporters of the Charlotte group were among those who called me and tipped us off to the story. So it appears that the national organization is doing what Bethany Christian Services and a number of other formerly Christian organizations have done, and that is to compromise their position on marriage. In Bethany's case, it was because they were receiving government funds. Is that the case here? Well, yeah, it is, at least partially. A number of Safe Families chapters do, in fact, receive government funds. And when Bethany Christian Services, which is one of the largest uh, Christian adoption agencies in the country, changed its policy regarding same-sex couples uh, back earlier this year, a number of the Safe Families chapters uh, used that event as an opportunity to ask the national organization to put something in writing, to put something in place to keep safe families from stepping onto that same slippery slope. But safe families refused to make a public statement. Uh, Again, as I said, that happened back in the spring around April or May. And when safe families and the local chapters kind of came to a head, um, that was when some of the local chapters decided to leave safe families. It's just taken until now for that split to occur and, I should add, become public. So what happens next? Well, it's not entirely clear, uh, but I would say that the story is not over. Uh, Safe Families has been an evangelical darling for many years. We've written positive stories about Safe Families in the past, in fact, right here at Ministry Watch. And it has partnerships with more than 4,000 churches, most of them evangelical churches. Safe Families is also a member of the ECFA, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. 
but neither its financial statements nor its statement of faith can be found on the ECFA website or on the Safe Families website. A spokesperson for Safe Families told us that they were a non-religious organization, which doesn't make sense. You have to be an explicitly Christian organization to be a member of the ECFA. We've asked questions of the ECFA about this. Uh, In other words, we've asked whether maybe Safe Families was under review or whether their membership was pending in some way, but so far we've not received a response from the ECFA either. So we're still following this story and we hope to have more information soon. Or in our next story also involves an organization and that's Student Leadership University or SLU, which has been steadily growing in recent years, but it's publicly available financial documents raise some questions about its governing documents and loans made by staff to the ministry. Yeah, that's right. SLU um, is an organization that I've known about for many years. In fact, I've even attended at least one of their conferences. Uh, They aim to develop students into leaders who, in their words, think dream and lead intentionally based on biblical values. According to SLU's website, it does this by hosting seminars around the country and virtually, of course, now uh, for students to both attend and learn from thought leaders and teachers. As an extension of its SLU seminars, it has created the Lift Tour weekend seminars for middle and high school students. In total, tens of thousands of young people have gone through SLU's program over the last 45 years. And for the past 25 years, it has hosted an annual conference for youth pastors. Yeah, that's right. In other words, it's a very successful ministry, and it has grown significantly in recent years. And as I said, I've attended one of their conferences. Um, Many of my friends are regular speakers at this conference, so I was a little bit surprised uh, when I... um, you know, saw some of the things that I saw when we were reviewing their most recent financial statements. Founder Jay Strack uh, is has been joined in the leadership of the organization by his son-in-law, Brent Crow, uh, and they've been something of a dynamic duo in the recent years in growing this ministry. Now, all that sounds really good. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is that their Form 990 uh, reveals some pretty significant changes made to the bylaws in October of 2018, uh, which gave significant power to a corporate member, uh, stating that that corporate member had full authority to elect and remove members of the board of directors. Now, that corporate member was listed as an organization called Christian Care Ministries, but we couldn't find any information about uh, Christian Care Ministries and the relationship that they had with SL. Student Student Leadership University. So this is a very unusual move in and of itself. So we reached out to SLU for an explanation, but they chose not to respond. Also, in the midst of doing our research, we discovered that SLU has engaged in some financial dealings that are out of the ordinary as well, both with Jay Strack, the founder, and with his son-in-law, Brent Crow. There's very little information about these transactions on the Form 990, but we do know that they total uh, in excess of a million dollars. Again, we've asked questions of the organization about these transactions, but have so far received no response. I should also note that that SLU, Student Leadership University, is not a member of the ECFA. And now, as we've reported here, membership in the ECFA is not a cure-all. Our previous story, the one regarding 
Safe Families for Children um, it should be an example of that because Safe Families is, in fact, an ECFA member, and they've got their own problems. But we find it highly unusual that an evangelical ministry of this size is not a member of the ECFA. Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, a report on the Faith Advisory Board organized by Donald Trump last week. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We continue with news that former President Donald Trump has launched a new National Faith Advisory Board. Yeah, the former president and his religious advisors announced the launch of this board on Thursday of last week, apparently aimed at reinvigorating his conservative Christian base. Some have speculated that it might be for another run at the presidency. Uh, The new initiative was formally unveiled uh, at a conference call organized by a group called Intercessors for America and led by longtime Trump advisor Paula White. Now, Paula White uh, said that the new effort included participation from what she called 70 executives, but she did not identify the people uh, who are among that 70. Uh, Since the meeting, several members uh, have uh, spoken up on social media, including California Pastor Jim Garlow. They've sort of outed themselves and identified themselves as members of the group. But for the most part, the members of the board remain something of a secret. Our next story involves a pastor and ministry leader who has resigned following allegations that he should have been aware of sexual abuse in his church. Yeah, the pastor of an Illinois church and co-founder of an addiction recovery program has resigned after allegations that church leaders should have been aware of sexual misconduct within the church and its affiliated programs. A video on the North Love Baptist Church Facebook page uh, that has since been taken down, I should add, showed Doug Stadola, chairman of the board of of the deacons at that church, announcing that Pastor Paul Kingsbury had decided to resign from ministry. He resigned, but he himself was not guilty of sexual misconduct. Is that an unusual move? Well, as recently as a year ago, Natasha, I would have said yes to your question. But I think what we're seeing now is a growing awareness that silence is complicity when it comes to sexual abuse. We've had a culture of don't ask, don't tell in the evangelical world when it comes to sexual abuse. And this action sends the message that if you are in a leadership position in a Christian church or ministry, 
ignorance of what is going on in your organization is no longer an excuse. It's an abdication of leadership. We saw that in a recent case involving the Anglican Church. Yeah, that's right. An Anglican bishop was relieved of his responsibilities for failing to act decisively when a lay leader was credibly accused of misconduct. And I think this trend actually goes back a few years after Bill Hybels left Willow Creek Church, that famous megachurch in suburban Chicago, uh, we saw a cascade of resignations and firings of staff and elders who were not themselves guilty of any form of sexual harassment or abuse, but they had failed to speak out when they knew what was going on. So I think the lesson here is if you see something, say something. It's the right thing to do, but also now if you don't, you could face some consequences. Warren, our next story is another one that should be a warning to church leaders. Yeah, the former pastor of a Texas church has been sentenced to 30 years in federal prison for filming 11 to 14-year-old children with hidden cameras, and he used the footage that he got to produce child pornography. Uh, Federal uh, prosecutors were involved in this case, and they arrested David Allen Pettigrew, he was 49 years old, former pastor of Denison Church of the Nazarene in Denison, Texas. Uh, He pleaded guilty uh, back in April to sexual exploitation of children, conspiracy, um, and attempt to distribute. Uh, He was arrested in August of 2020 after notifications from electronic service providers relayed via the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children alerted authorities that a user had up uploaded suspect files. That's what actually triggered this investigation. Wow, this is a horrible story, but it does also give us some instruction on multiple levels. What do you think are the lessons here? Well, first, digital cameras have gotten very sophisticated, and it's unfortunately now necessary for churches and schools to know that. If you have areas in your facilities, and by that I mean maybe athletic facilities or bathrooms where there are showers or changing rooms, the possibility that someone could plant electronic surveillance devices there and get away with it is now very real. Pettigrew used hidden cameras that were disguised as hooks for clothing, clocks, a picture frame, a smoke detector, and an AC wall adapter. In fact, um, he hid some of these cameras in a charging block, you know, like the little chargers that you plug your phone and your computers into, and he even had one in a pen. Wow. Is there anything else? Well, secondly, and you'd think that maybe this thing that I'm about to say next will be obvious in this day and age, but I think for a lot of church leaders, it may not be quite so obvious. And that is this, your church or ministry needs written youth protection policies. And those policies need to be widely available in your church. It's not enough to get them in writing and stick them in a file somewhere, maybe where the pastors and the elders and the deacons might know them, but nobody else does. The parents and the kids in your church or in your ministry need to know as well. Uh, This pastor, for example, was secretly recording kids in his own home. Now, one question would be, what are the kids doing in this guy's home? Would that have raised some red flags if there had been a policy uh, that said that children could not be in the church leadership's home without supervision? When it comes to what is acceptable and what is not, there need to be bright lines and everyone needs to know where those lines are and feel empowered to speak up when someone steps over that line. 
Warren, we're going to take another quick break. When we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. And Warren, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, what's up first is Samantha Kilpatrick, uh, who was the Director of Institutional Response for a group called GRACE. It's a group that we've talked about a great deal on this uh, podcast before. GRACE stands for Godly Response to Abuse in the Christian Environment. She is resigning from her role at GRACE after being there for only three months. Now, as I said, GRACE is a charitable organization that offers training and resources to help Christian communities prevent and respond to sexual abuse within the church. Uh, The nonprofit also conducts independent investigations for churches. Um, Grace Executive Director Peter Singer wrote in a newsletter that we are very thankful for the time we shared with Samantha Kilpatrick and for the work she accomplished during her time with Grace. He went on to say that it has become clear to Samantha that this was not the role she felt called to, and she decided to pursue other avenues. We wish her all the best in the next season of her life. Well, that sounds quite friendly, but I understand that there's more to this story. Yeah, there is. Uh, Kilpatrick's choice to help lead Grace back three or four months ago when it was announced was not welcomed by many victims' advocates. Some thought that she had been too soft on abusers in the past. Uh, Some victims spoke out on blog posts and in the media when she was selected. Her departure after such a short tenure is in other words, very unusual, and possibly a sign of turmoil at grace, which over the years has been seen as a gold standard for doing these sort of sexual abuse investigations. Warren, our next piece highlights a new feature at Ministry Watch. Yeah, that's right. Uh, You will sometimes hear me say that the Ministry Watch database has over has about a thousand Christian ministries in it. And they represent about $35 billion in annual revenue. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I can tell you've been listening to Natasha. And in fact, a reporter in Colorado Springs has been listening as well. Um, in fact, I've said it so often that this reporter in Colorado Springs, the Colorado Springs Gazette, dug into our data and published an article on just how many of the ministries 
Ministries were in Colorado Springs and in the state. And that got me thinking, we ought to do similar stories for other cities and other states. So this month, our monthly list included the top 25 states for Christian ministries. And this week, we are featuring one of those states, Texas, uh, which is actually number two on our list. And we'll be featuring other states in the weeks ahead. Yeah, that's right. We don't plan to do every state, but we will be featuring the top 25 along with the number of ministries that are in that state and the amount of revenue that is generated by these ministries. Uh, Where there's some special or interesting story, we'll feature that too. So for example, where you are, Natasha, in Colorado Springs, there's an interesting ministry history that dates all the way back to when the Navigators moved to Colorado in 1953. Yeah, and that set off a chain reaction that included focus on the family moving to Colorado Springs in the early 1990s. Yeah, that's right. And now Colorado is home to, you know, hundreds of Christian ministries. They bring in more than $2 billion a year. That puts Colorado at number four on our list of states. And that's particularly significant when you know that when ranked by population, Colorado's not nearly in the top 10. In fact, it's number 21. So the state really punches above its weight when it comes to Christian ministries, you might say. Now, who's in the ministry spotlight this week? MOPS International, sometimes just called MOPS, uh, began in 1981 by eight mothers, eight moms, uh, to encourage mothers of preschoolers. In fact, MOPS stands for Mothers of Preschoolers, though the women who originally formed this ministry in 1981 saw their kids grow up and they wanted to remain involved. So MOPS became the official name and they sort of got away from that preschoolers acronym. Uh, The group encourages and equips moms of young children to realize their potential as mothers, women, and leaders. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners know about MOPS. They've been a pretty significant presence on radio over the years. Yeah, that's right. And uh, they're a pretty good-sized ministry as well, with about $5 million in revenue. You can dig into their financials of MOPS and read a little bit more about their vision and passion by going to ministrywatch.com. Their profile is right on the front page. And who do you have in the Ministries Making a Difference column this week? Well, several. Uh, Renew Project is opening its doors to Afghan refugee women who may be entering the U.S. in the coming months and years. Renew is based in DuPage County, Illinois, and provides employment for refugee women from around the world, starting with training in English and training in sewing. And Convoy of Hope is one of the many Christian groups delivering goods and services to Louisiana in the aftermath of Hurricane Ida. Others include Louisiana Network Ministry, the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team, Mercy Chefs, and Samaritan's Purse. Any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, I wanted to tell everyone about a free webinar that we're doing here at Ministry Watch. It's coming up pretty soon. It's called How to Find and Read a Form 990. You know, we talk about Form 990s a lot on this program, and we did a webinar on this topic uh, in 2020. In fact, we did it twice. It was very well received. We usually had more people signing up than we could fully accommodate. And as we've grown over the past year, Natasha, we now have a lot more people on our daily email list and 
listening to our podcast than we did when we last offered this program. So we're going to do it again on September 23rd. That's in about two weeks uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern time via Zoom. Uh, I know I mentioned that it's free, but you do have to register if you want to get the Zoom link. So uh, be on the lookout for the Zoom link in our daily emails. Anything else? Well, just my weekly reminder to both give and live generously. Always support your local church first and your favorite and carefully researched Christian ministry second. But if you have a few bucks left over after that, we'd be honored to have your help here at Ministry Watch. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate tab at the top of the page. And I'd also like to mention that there is a way that you can help us. It doesn't cost you a dime. And that is simply to rate us on your podcast app. App. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for other people to find us in the App Store. So it's a free and fast way to support us here at Ministry Watch. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Rod Pitzer, Liz Reith, Sarah Dreher, Jack Jenkins, Anne Stike, Kim Roberts, and Steve Raby. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.